Extra time. Immaculate grid. Grid 127 for Tuesday, the 7th of August. Immaculate grid. I can't say enough about it in the fact that every single morning that I crack this open, there's this level of glee that I get depending on the team makeup or the career achievement makeup that I get. And then the actual work that I have to go through to peel back in the recesses of my brain answers of players that in many times are retired and probably haven't played for a very long time. And the stark reality of how further and further away as each day goes by of how much longer those players have been since retired is, you know, dawns on me. But I enjoy it. I wake up every day. And I hope you are enjoying Immaculate Grid as much as I am. It is very addictive. And we'll determine here in the very near future, maybe at the end of the summer, if we're going to jump into basketball and football or if we're going to keep on baseball. Because I think for this game, baseball seems the most fun for me so far. Football, you know, I've cracked it open. It's okay. And basketball, maybe it leads to as much enjoyment possibly as baseball, but we'll see. But right now we're sticking with baseball. It's summertime. Let's give baseball its due. We're still in August, but let's just go ahead and crack open the grid. And we've got a lot of notes and a lot of facts for you today. But in today's grid, we have the New York Mets along the top columns. We have in the middle column, we've got the Toronto Blue Jays. And in the far right column, we have 20 plus wins in a season. Then for the rows, we have the Texas Rangers, the middle row, the Detroit Rock City, La Tigre Tigers. And in the bottom, we have 200 plus Ks in a season for pitching. And we have another one of those baseball reference notes when it comes to the bottom right-hand corner. We'll talk about that here in just a moment. But just to repeat, as we have just about every single day, this is extra time. This is the bonus show of the big show, Generations, talking about my sports generations. That show drops every Saturday. That's the big show with Steve and myself when we talk about you know, how the fan experience, how sports has changed during our lifetimes and how we view the games differently. And we try to take a little bit different angle than what you're used to on most podcasts. You know, if this player or that player is better, or if this era or that era is better, that's not what the show is about. The, the show is really about fans and how we perceive the game and how the game has changed during our lifetimes. And the expectations of the game for us, how we've consumed it, how we've thought about it, how we've talked about it. So it's a little bit different spin on the regular sports discussion. And then of course, daily we have this show, Extra Time, Immaculate Grid. We go through the baseball Immaculate Grid. We go through our grids and we have a lot of different notes for you. 
So for that very top top box, let's just get into it. New York Mets and Texas Rangers. This actually came up about a week ago or so, and we're really focused. We wanted to talk about some very specific things today, so we just kind of just went went with it, and we went Carlos Beltran four percent. Now we only knew this because our friend Tony tipped us off on this uh, about a week ago when this similar box came up. And in re- researching Carlos Beltran, you know, we saw, oh, wow, he was a Ranger, you know, season before last and his final season. So Cal- Carlos Beltran, then in the middle square at the top for Blue Jays and Rangers, we have Ruben Sierra. So 1%. And Ruben had that one rando Toronto Blue Jays season. He would also become a Yankee at the very end. But here's where we're going to spend a little bit of time. 20-plus win season pitching and Texas Rangers. Now, this one here is a thinker. And to be fair, I did not get this one organically. I was actually looking something else up, accidentally came across one of the answers, then tried to come up with one of the other possible answers on my own. I was not able to do it. And then I just finished it off with the answer that I accidentally looked up. So I wasn't directly trying to figure out this one, but I ended up coming across it when it was Kevin Brown. Kevin Brown, 43% Rangers. I didn't have any idea that he actually won 20 plus games. And in fact, this is his only season in his career where he won 20 plus games. But there's only three possible answers here. So let's work for the most recent to the first. So most recently, 1998, Rick Helling won 20 games. He went 20 and 7 in 1998. And you go, really? Now, to give you some context, the Rangers finished in first place that year in the West. Also, Aaron Seeley won 19 games for that team. And no other pitcher won 10 games, won double-digit games for the Rangers. But they won, you know, 88 games. They were the first-place team in the West. So Helling was 20-7. and And to give him his due, I'm not trying to ding the guy, but to give him his due, to give him some credit here, he went 20-7. and He led the league in wins with 20. He had an ERA of 4.41. So you say, wow, dude, really? 4.41? But you got to remember, this is 1998. So this is the heart and very well the explosion of the PED era. This is when numbers really started to go crazy. And you can argue 96 is really the beginning of it. 98 is the kind of the peak of it that is the assault on the home run record by Sosa and McGuire but in 1998 Helling had an ERA plus of 109 of 109 so he was nine percent better than the average and again he's 441 ERA he's pitching in Texas so it's hot it's humid ball flies out of that ballpark so the fact that the guy could hang around and stay in games long enough to get 20 wins. I mean, that's a pretty big accomplishment. 
And he and Aaron Seeley basically just anchored that staff. And it was just, it looked like going back and looking at it, it was just attrition. So how the heck did they do it? Well, this team had Pudge Rodriguez, Will Clark, and Juan Gonzalez. Juan Gonzalez right in the middle of his MVP storage seasons with the Rangers. So here's some numbers for you for those Rangers teams. That 1998 team, they were second in runs with 940. The Yankees would lead the league with 965, so 25 more runs than the Rangers. Third place was Boston with 876. So the Yankees would have almost 100 more runs than Boston. And the Rangers would have almost 70 more runs. So, you know, almost half a run a game more than third place Boston. So the Yankees and Rangers were far and above just scoring runs left and right over anybody else. So they were clearly outscoring teams. I mean, Helling's winning 20 games with a 4.41 ERA and their second in the league in total runs scored. They were first in batting average. So team batting average was 289. And the Yankees were right behind them at 288. And third place was Boston with 280. So again, for batting team batting average between the Yankees and the Rangers, far and above. So OPS, they were second with 819. Yankees led the league with 825, and Seattle was third in OPS with 812. So this is 1998. So let's fast forward. How do you compare that to 2022 for the American League? So last year, Toronto led team batting 264. 25 points lower than the 98 Rangers who led the league. Last year, the Yankees led the league in runs with 807. That is 133 fewer than the second place Rangers. So that's a, almost a run a game. It's like, you know, 0.75 runs a game. Fewer or more, depending on the perspective that you're looking at it. And Toronto led the league in OPS at 760. The Rangers were 819. That's 59 points less than the Rangers. So the amount of runs that we're scoring and the ability for Helling to hang in there and get enough innings and to just keep the games close enough to win 20 games is, is a minor miracle. So 1998, Rick Helling won 20 games. Aaron Silly, 19 games. Who knew? So Rick Helling satisfied this box. So now you get my answer, which again was cribbed. 1992, Kevin Brown leads the league and wins with 21. He goes 21 and 11. It's Browns, as I mentioned before. It's his only season with 20 or more wins. He would have an ERA of 332 in 1992. Again, pitching in Texas, and he would have an ERA plus of 116. So he's 16% better than the league. Pitching in Texas 
which again is a huge accomplishment. And he would also lead the league in innings pitch with 265.2. So Kevin Brown, you know, it's kind of hard to remember his years with Texas. And then he would go and have that one season with Baltimore, and then he'd go to Florida, and then he'd go to the, the Dodgers. But early in his career, I mean, you know, they always talked about he had that very heavy sinker, heavy sinker. That was kind of always the thing they they would always describe Kevin Brown. But Kevin Brown, yeah, he he's he's one of three answers, 21 and 11. I went with Brown in this for 43%. So then you say, all right, who is the third one? Now, here's another one where it's like, totally don't even think about it. Does not come up, does not compute, you don't, not even in the lexicon. Ferguson Jenkins, 1974. So he has the Rangers single season high in wins. He won 25 games in 1974. And this is the run that Jenkins had. So this 1974 season, of course, he was a longtime Cub, known as a Cub, capped off an eight-year run. In that eight-year run, seven out of the eight years, he had 20-plus on wins. He had four years of an ERA of 2.82 or less. Seven of those eight years, he had an ERA plus of 121 or greater. So he was 21% better than the average major leaguer that year. Seven out of the eight years. He had 36 or more starts every single year in that entire eight-run season. With, led the league with 40 in 1968, led the league with 42 in 1969, led the league with 39 in 1971, and then he would have 41 in this 1974 year. He did not lead the league with starts, but he still had 41 starts that season. He led the league in complete games four times. 20 in 1967, 24 in 1970, 30 in 1971, and 29 in 1974. So the guy was just throwing every four days, no problem. Give me the ball. Winning games, seven out of eight years, 20 or more wins, with an ERA plus of 121 or greater, seven out of eight years. It's incredible. Five times he pitched 308 innings or more. He led the league in innings pitched with 325 in 1971. His lowest innings pitched during that eight-year stretch was 271 innings pitched. The guy was just a machine. And he holds the Rangers' single-season win record with 25. Incredible. So that was your, those were your options. Helling, Brown, Ferguson, Jenkins. There you go. So let's square away the rest of this grid. Left-hand side, middle. So Yankee and Detroit, we've talked about this before. This is actually a grid. This is a box that came up before. And uh, we didn't pick him the first time, but we picked him this last time. Howard Johnson, 3%. And as we discussed before, Hojo is the third most 30-30 seasons three and he won a world series he's you know 
He played in the 84 World Series. And of course, he played 86 as well. So he has two World Series wins for Howard Johnson. Very underrated player. I hated him when he was on the Mets. Just couldn't stand him on the Mets. But I just couldn't stand the Mets. So there you go. In the middle, we have Cecil Fielder. That is for Blue Jays and Detroit Tigers. 15%. And of course, Cecil Fielder would hit over 50 home runs on the Tigers, and he would be the first player in like 20-some-odd years to hit 50 home runs, and prior to that, it was George Foster. So we went a couple of decades plus before we had someone hit 50 or more home runs, and then shortly after Fielder, you know, beginning in that 96 season things just went wacky and we started getting you know the brady anderson we talked about that season a few days ago you started getting 50 home runs was you know starting point but cecil fielder was the first one to crack it and he was a big boy big boy so you know he wasn't at least to my knowledge ever accused of ever suspected of ever reported to be juicing so presumably that organic 50 plus home runs season and it was the first time before george foster which i believe was 1977 with the reds so then 20 plus season pitching for detroit rock city 11 percent. i went with denny mclean denny mclean is the last pitcher to win 31 games of course he did that the year of the pitcher in 1968 we've talked about that quite a bit especially the bob gidson same season in the national league but you have a lot of there were a lot of answers for 20-plus season pitching for Detroit. You could have gotten Scherzer, Mickey Lolich, Verlander, Jack Morris. So there were a lot of options here. And you could go back, you know, obviously into the 60s and, and before for the Tigers. I believe there was 24 total answers for that one. So a lot of Tigers available for you to choose. But we went with Denny McLean, 31. Pretty easy. I thought Scherzer and some of those guys were going to be too obvious. So I was kind of trying to go a little scarcity and then also have an opportunity to talk about McLean a little bit. So here's where we got some fun ones. We've got New York Mets and 200 plus K in a season, a left hand bottom corner. So there are a handful of Mets that were eligible. I believe the number is 12. I went David Cohn 3%. More on Cohn here in just a moment. But here were your options. You could have gone Jacob DeGrom. He did it four times. Noah Syndergaard twice. R.A. Dickey did it once. I mean, okay. Knuckleballer. R.A. Dickey just had these weird handful of seasons uh he pitched for toronto but he just had these uh handful of seasons where he was just great and then it just seemed like he, he fell off i guess his effectiveness i'm not sure what it was maybe he lost the feel for the knuckler i i don't know but r.a dickey was you go back and look at it and it's like wow like forgot that he had some pretty solid seasons johan santana so fun fact, Johan Santana. No, see, I was going to give you the wrong one. I'm thinking Francisco Liriano. See, look at that. 
I almost gave you bad, bad information. But anyhow, Johan Santana did it once. Pedro did it once. Al Leiter did it once. So here's here's the guy we chose, David Cohn. Four times. 200 plus strikeouts four times with the Mets. Now, David Cohn would finish with a career war of 62.3. Fairly solid. I mean, you're you're start you're you're right there. 62.3 for a pitcher. You're right in there for especially a modern pitcher for career war. Now, he would win 20 games or more twice. So he actually would fit into that far bottom right-hand square. Led the league in strikeouts in 1998. Or excuse me, led the league in wins in 1998 with the Yankees. He's a five-time World Series winner. Five times. You forget about that. He won one. He was on that 92 Toronto team. So he won with Toronto. And then he won four with the Yankees. He was on the 96 team, then the three, three-peat, 98, 99, 2000 for the Yankee. Five World Series. He went Cy Young in 1994. So that was a strike-shortened season. He was actually a Royal that season. And if you want to count, you know, we they still did the awards, even though that it was strike-shortened. Five-time All-Star, played 17 seasons. Here's the one that I here's the one statistic that I think as far as a Hall of Famer statistic for David Cohn. He had an ERA plus of 121. So he was 21% better than the average major leaguer during his career. But more importantly, his career went from the late 80s into the early 2000s. And at the end of his career, he was still dominant in a league where now PEDs were were prevalent and he's holding his own. And his ERA plus in not his final season, but prior to that, his ERA plus was actually well over 121. And Cone was never Again, suspected, reported, or admitted, as far as I'm aware. So David Cohn, you know, maybe that's the stat that that gets him in. I mean, he's been eligible already. He's his eligibility's coming come and gone. But does he get a second look here, David Cohn? I don't know. Five World Series, year A plus as dominant a pitcher during that era as you could think of, it's pretty good. So for the Mets, some of the other answers here, Doc Gooden did it four times, 200 plus. King Kong, Sid Fernandez. I don't know why. We always called him King Kong Sid. Uh, he was always a big boy, left-hander. Didn't really, I hated Sid Fernandez too. I don't know why. I just didn't like that guy. He always pitched the Giants tough. Jerry Kuzman did it once. John Matlack did it once. But here's the here's the baller, Tom Seaver, nine times. And he holds the single season record for the Mets with strikeouts with 289. And that was in 1971. So to think, you know, when you talk you, when you talk about the top strikeout pitchers, 
you know, we get a lot of strikeouts today, and, and a lot of that is the approach has changed and how we look at the game is playing. You know, how we how we think about the game has changed, how we play the game has changed, and strikeouts aren't thought of as bad or taboo as it has in the past. And there isn't as much shame to striking out as you did before. But to be able to be a big strikeout pitcher back you know, in Tom Seaver's time is huge accomplishment. And so to think that, you know, just recently DeGrom four times, Syndergaard two times, you know, is that a function of they're that much better? Or is it just because, you know, these guys are just swinging away and it's it's not a big deal to strike out as much? I think it's a combination of the two, right? DeGrom and Syndergaard, of course, were were great. They've had arm trouble and they haven't been as dominant as they have recently but tom siever did it nine times it was like yeah just clocking in you know i'm using an old term taking my time card clocking in day's work if you look at the old flintstone cartoons fred sitting there clocking out hits a little dinosaur's mouth punches it with his teeth showing my age but that was just a day's work for Tom Seaver, nine times. Incredible. Just incredible. So now we go to Toronto's, the Blue Jays and 200 plus Ks. So you only had a handful of options here. So you had six, one, two, three, four, five, seven, excuse me, seven different players. Kevin Gaussman did it last year, 200 with 205. Kevin Gaussman. His career was resurrected by the Giants. He was a Baltimore Oriole, kind of flamed out, wasn't as good as he was projected to be or supposed to be. He came to the Giants, and this is where I think analytics helps. The Giants were like, dude, you're throwing four pitches. Two of your pitches are getting crushed. Stick with your two-seamer and stick with your off one-off speed, and that's it. Just throw those two. Stop screwing around. Stop throwing this other junk because you're getting whacked. And the Giants, you know, got the most out of him. And I think that's one of the opportunities and areas where advanced statistics and scouting helps. It's like, hey, man, stick with what you're good at. Your stuff's great. Just throw those. Don't worry about it. People can't hit it. And it's true. And he has been pretty dominant these last few years. But in 2022, 205 strikeouts. 2021, Robbie Ray led the league with 248. 2011, Brandon Morrow, 203. 2009, Roy Halladay with 2008, rest in peace. 2008, you had both Burnett, A.J. Burnett and Halladay, 22. Burnett led with 231. Halladay had 204. And then here's the anomalies. In 98 and 97, triple crown of pitching. Wins, ERA, strikeouts, two Cy Young Awards, Roger Clemens. 1998, led the league in strikeouts with 271. And 1997, led the league in strikeouts with 292. 292 is the Toronto single-season record, Roger Clemens. And many would have told you that when he went to Toronto, it was the swan song of Roger Clemens. And little did we know, 
He's going to win two Cy Youngs with Toronto, and then he'd go to the Yankees, and he's going to get three more, get two with Boston, two as a Toronto, three with the Yankee, total of seven. We talked about the the other day. Is he now known as a Yankee and not as a Red Sox? So go back and look at that show. And as a reminder, if you look at the show's descriptions, we put the players in there that we talk about so you can pick out those shows. Also, the badge for each of the shows shows the grid for that particular day. So you can also look at the grid and kind of see, get an idea of what we talk about and who we talk about. But Immaculate Grid, the Extra Time show, posts every single day at 9 p.m. Pacific Time. And then again, the big show is noon Pacific Time every Saturday it drops. Roger Clemens. So I went with the Rocket 26%. Just wanted to talk about him some more. You know, both great in his time and, you know, questionable. And how we look at that era as we get further away from it. You know, I look at it as all things fair and war. I've discussed that before. And until things were legislated out and we all agreed that it wasn't, you know, we shouldn't do it or shouldn't have it. You know, people were using it and it was prevalent. And to try to dissect who did and who didn't, it's probably a good good thing to or easy enough easy enough mental leap to say that most people must have been doing it especially those at the top of the pile and those that were great became greater and those that were pretty good became great so i think you can make some mental leaps to kind of determine you know what was happening and what was going on but you know, to try to just wipe it away from our memory and pretend like it didn't happen and also try to vilify it. These folks put their bodies on the line and they were doing things that they thought they were willing to take a risk. And then as fans, we didn't really care when it was happening. But very quickly afterwards, you know, oh, no, that was bad. Oh, this guy's a cheater. Well, he's a cheater because he wasn't on your squad. Oh, he's not a cheater because he's on my squad. And quite frankly, most were probably using in some way, shape, or form. So those are, you know, kind of my thoughts. And then my thoughts are, as we get further and further away from it, and as those that weren't living through it and watching it in real time and are just picking it up through looking at the stats, does that somehow change the perception because you weren't living in it in the moment because i mean if you think about it 1998 now is 25 years ago so if you had any recollection i would imagine you'd at least need to have been 10 years old at that point in time so you're 35 years old today and then at 10 do you really have or did you really have the i don't know perspective at that point in time of what was going on or what was being alleged or what we thought. So I don't know, but I think as we get further away, I think it'll lessen and lessen. We don't talk about greenies from the 60s. These guys were doing speed. 
you know, to be able to get through games every single day. I mean, it's a grind. And back then, they didn't have the luxury of charter planes and all this other stuff going on. They didn't have chefs. They didn't have all the modern luxuries that you had today. So getting around a lot more difficult. And then we brought it up the other day. You know, if you were one of the black players in the 50s and into the 60s, you weren't able to stay at some of the same places. So your path or your career was more difficult. You weren't getting the same, you know, creature comforts. You weren't getting the same treatment. So you were having both the physical impediment to your season, but also the mental impediment. Just think of the mental stress of having to deal with racism on the road. You know, you're probably treated fairly well, or at least better than, you know, maybe an average citizen that was black in your hometown. But in your hometown, if you were successful, at least, you know, you had that going for you. And you go to these other cities where it's not, you know, with free agency and everything else and the loyalty amongst fans and players is, is quite a bit different. But they hated you when you went to different towns. And so just think of the mental strain if you had to go through that on your every single day job. So I think we're going to change how we think about the PED era. And I don't want to say expressly steroids because there's probably much more than that. But um, Roger Clemens, poster child, along with Barry, handful of other guys, McGuire, of course, Conseco. But I went with him, 26% here for this square. So now we're in the bottom right-hand square. 20-plus win season for pitching and 200-plus K season as well. Now, Again, we've talked about this before. This box now is like you had to have done both, but you didn't have to do both at the same time. And that kind of tweaks me a little bit. So when you look at the available players for this square, there's 164 qualifying players. And I was kind of like, man, that's bogus. It should have just, just make it 200 Ks and 20 wins. Makes it a little bit harder. And in my opinion, makes it a little bit more fun. And so I went, you know, Marichal, 0.2%. Got to throw a giant in there. Here's the sad part. I can't throw a modern giant in there because we don't have any. I mean, Mike Kruko won 20 wins in 1986. Then we had the 93 season where we had John Burkett and we had Bill Swift win over 20 games. I think that's it. I can't, I don't think the Giants have had a 20 game winner since 93. I mean, that's, I'm like 98% right. Timmy never won 20. Matt Kane never won 20. Bumgarner never won 20. You know, who are out, who else? I mean, they've had a bunch of cast of characters. Don't get me wrong, they had some guys that were solid. Russ Ortiz would win 20. He won 21 games, but not as a Giant. He did it as a Brave. He left the Giants, went to the Braves, won 21 games. Sean Estes was close. I think he won 18 or 19 games. Giants don't have many 20-game winners, especially modern players. So I was very limited in my options. So I went Marichal because, you know, he was sick. We're going to talk about that here in just a moment. But 
looking at the list of 164 players that were eligible for this, there's only three giants, modern giants. And when I say modern, you know, post, call it, you know, I think Willie Mays as a modern player. So his rookie season was 51. So if we're going to say 51 forward, fair enough. But I mean, there's only three. Sam Jones in 1959, which of course I never saw Sam Jones pitch. And there's little or no footage of him pitching. So I don't even know what his windup looks like. I know little or nothing other than his name. But in 1959, he led the league in wins with 21. He went 21 and 15. And he had a 283 ERA that season. That That's it. I see black text on a screen. I was going to say on a piece of paper. But looking it up, that's all I know about Sam Jones. So then in 1970, you had Gaylord Perry. He went... 23 and 13 led the league in wins with 23, 41 game starts led the league, and he led the league in innings pitch with 328.2. I wasn't born yet, almost, not quite, and I never really saw Gaylord Perry pitch either. But the legend of Juan Marichal is big and great for any San Francisco Giant fan, and I think probably you know just his intensity. And his hatred for the Dodgers is what really endeared him with the Giants fan base, even though, don't talk about it, his final season in the league was with the Doyer. But Marichal had a five-year run that was great. And five years where he had 20 or more wins and 200-plus strikeouts. So he did it in the same season. None of this... Oh, have this rando over here and had a rando over there and qualifies for the square. Five times he did it. 1963 led the league in wins with 25. He went 25 and 8, had over 200 strikeouts. 64, 21 and 8, over 200 strikeouts. 65, 22 and 13, over 200 strikeouts. 66, 25 and 6, over 200 strikeouts. And then in 1968, he led the league in wins again with 26, went 26 and 9 had over 200 strikeouts. So the legend of Juan Marichal for Giants fans is great. But you can be 51 years old and you just see his windup in clips here and there. You see him taking a bat after Dodger players. And that's all we got. We don't have that many 20-win seasons, and we definitely don't have that many seasons with 200 or more strikeouts. Bumgarner did it a few times. Timmy did it, but again, never won 20 games. But um, the Giants have had this, I don't know what it is. You have these teams that have this weird identity. And of course, you know, ownership has changed. GMs have changed. Management has changed. Everything has changed, but these identities kind of steam the stick, and it's weird. You know, the A's, we talked about it the other day. The A's just have this weird knack. Six rookies of the year since the inception of the award. They're like this factory of young players, but then they don't go anywhere. And it's not just, you know, who's the owners today. It's been like this for a long time. I mean, they've been, you know, this goes back to Charlie Finley. That guy was a cheap MFR. There's lots of stories about him. I mean, he was cheap to everybody. For the entire organization, not just limited to the players. I mean, management to broadcasters. I mean, you name it. There's all kinds of stories about Charlie Finley during those years with the A's. And the A's are great. 
They won three World Series in a row. Catfish Hunter, Reggie Jackson, you know, Raleigh Fingers, Vita Blue. There's a lot of great A's players from that era. But they're just known as this factory of young players. Giants, bashers, not a whole lot of pitching. A lot of bashers, a lot of home run hitters, MVPs, a lot of guys that can hit. A lot of guys, good fielders. You know, Giants typically known for good, good fielding. Conversely, like Dodgers, I don't know. I just remember the Dodgers of the 80s booting the ball around all over the place. There is a story that my friend RJ talks about where apparently Pedro Guerrero was asked, so what are you thinking when you're in the field? And he was said, or he quoted, saying, Oh, God, please don't have the ball hit to me. And so then the reporter asked him, well, then what's the second thought on your head? And he goes, oh, God, please don't let them hit the ball to Sachs. So you had Pedro Guerrero and Steve Sachs in the same infield. Guerrero was playing left field, third base, first base. I mean, they couldn't find it. The guy could hit, but, the, you know, wasn't really that great of a fielder. And, you know, just watching them boot the ball around uh, in the 80s was super, super fun. But, I mean, the Dodgers are always kind of known. Dodgers are known. Oh, they're always going to have good pitching. And they'll have a few hitters here and there. But the Giants never really known for really having, oh, you know, they got a great staff. No, I mean, solid. I would never say great. So it's weird how these teams have created these identities over the years. And they're still relatively true today. And then when you go back and see, you know, questions like this for the grid, and you're like, man, like, there just isn't that many giants that fit this category because we're just, for whatever reason, it's not how they drafted. It's not how they, you know, got players, free agents, brought them in. Just way the, the ball bounces, I suppose. But this is extra time. This is the Immaculate Grid Show. This was Grid 128 for Tuesday the 8th. And we will be back here tomorrow, as we always are, 9 p.m. Pacific for the Extra Time Show. Again, check out the main show, Generations, talking about my sports generations. And look at the, we've got a five-minute clip, just under five minutes, of me trying to explain war, wins above replacement, to Steve. And for those that don't remember, or don't know, Steve is our resident boomer. So me trying to explain advanced metrics to Steve is mildly funny. So check that out. We've got more on statistics. We also have another whole episode on the beginning of analytics. And more on that. But appreciate the listens. Share this with your friends. We are now on Apple and on Amazon. Main, mainly on the uh, Spotify's, but you can get us on Apple and Amazon now. So share it with your friends and interact with the show. Share your grids and any other thoughts that you have on the show. You know, we want to make the show better, but we appreciate the listens. Have a great night. It's Jonathan. Extra time, Immaculate Grid. We'll see you.